everyone. Welcome back to the Football Outsiders Fantasy Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Spratt, a writer for Football Outsiders, which is part of the Edge Sports family. There are a lot of late-breaking quarterback stories leading into the waiver wire deadline for Week 3, and not just that Ben Roethlisberger and Drew Brees are hurt. So I'll try to add in some commentary as I go game by game with my waiver wire thoughts, in particular for the things that I missed in the column that's up on footballoutsiders.com. Let's circle back to last Thursday's game with the Buccaneers at the Panthers. Chris Godwin was the real the real guy that, that performed the best in this game. Eight catches, 121 yards, and a touchdown. But he's already owned in most leagues. And so I think for your fantasy options, that leaves you with a couple of Panthers. You have Greg Olson, six catches, 110 yards on nine targets. Already has 18 targets through two weeks. And at 26.5% of his team's wide receiver and tight end targets is the seventh most in that stat among tight ends uh, in football this season. So I think Olsen is back to where he was before the foot injuries, at least for one more year, and is a guy you can pick up and start as a tight end top 10. Meanwhile, Curtis Samuel rebounded from a light week one workload, drawing 13 targets and a carry in that week two game, and is back up to 23.5% of the wide receiver and tight end targets for the Panthers, and is also probably an option maybe more in deeper leagues or as a flex option in bye weeks. Now, that being said, one of the quarterback stories of the week is that Cam Newton seems to have re-injured the foot that he sprained in the preseason um, when he was stepped on. And I was wondering, that might have been a contributing factor to the fact that Cam has been unwilling to run the first two weeks of the season. And I think, as the results indicate, Newton isn't very effective as a quarterback if he can't add his second threat, where he's at his best, really, as a runner. But I don't actually think that's going to sabotage Olsen, Samuel, or DJ Moore, who's been excellent so far this season. If backup quarterback Kyle Allen is in, their passing attack will probably be just as effective. Allen is actually a more accurate passer than Newton is. There just won't be that extra running dimension that the quarterback brings. The Panthers can be a traditional offense and make those guys work in fantasy, um, but I don't think Allen could potentially be a startable option for you, but he'll be good enough for Olsen and Samuel. Moving to Sunday, we have the Cardinals at Ravens. Kyler Murray, very impressive to me, 25 of 40 for 349 yards, no touchdowns, but also no picks in Baltimore. That's a very tough spot for a rookie quarterback to go. And Murray has been very effective this year. He's a little bit below neutral with a negative 17 DYAR, a negative 13.7% DVOA for the season. But he has 94 pass attempts, which is the most in football. And obviously he had the week one overtime game that contributed to that total. But I also think that with Cliff Kingsbury's offense, you're going to have a high pass attempts total in general. And that can kind of boost him up a little bit in fantasy. And in particular, I'll mention that both the Lions and Ravens typically cut the number of pass plays that their opponents have by 7.6 and 0.9% respectively. So I think it's been a good sign that Murray has thrown the ball as often as he has. The really only drawback here is that Murray has seldom attempted a run so far this season, and he's probably a guy that needs that second dimension two to be effective in fantasy, at least as a rookie. So I would sort of treat him as as more of a guy that's going to boost some of his teammates' values in fantasy, but maybe more of a QB2 option for you in fantasy for the rest of the season. Speaking of some of his teammates, we have Christian Kirk, six catches, 114 yards on eight targets. I think with Michael Crabtree joining the Cardinals this week, I had some uncertainty about how the targets would kind of work themselves out. But Crabtree had just three. Rookie Keyshawn Johnson had just two. And Kirk, um, he had the eight, obviously, but also played 56 snaps compared to just 19 for Crabtree and 19 for Johnson. Weirdly, Demir Bird is a deep threat, had 56 snaps as well. I'm not sure I would necessarily expect that to continue. But I think Kirk joins Larry Fitzgerald as a guy you can clearly start for now, even in your shallow formats. On the Ravens side of thing, you have Mark Andrews, 
another fantastic day with eight catches, 112 yards, and a touchdown. He's had 30.9% of the team's wide receiver and tight end targets so far this season, and that's the third highest percentage of any tight end in football this season. He's been very efficient as well, 66.4% DVOA. I think he's clearly a top five fantasy tight end, and if he's still available in some of your leagues, I would pretty much use up all your fab to try to get him if you need help at tight end. And then meanwhile, Marquise Brown, the rookie receiver, obviously another fantastic gay, eight uh, catches, 86 yards, exceptional total of 13 targets. So not just the deep threat that he showed in week one. And no other Ravens receivers other than those two guys had more than four targets in week two. Brown is at 32.7% of the wide receiver and tight end targets for this season, leading the team. Yeah, he's obviously a very valuable guy, too. I think he can be a wide receiver, too, the rest of the way, even though typically those rookie wide receivers don't have this kind of initial impact. Shifting gears to the 49ers at Bengals, Raheem Mostart, very impressive, 13 carries for 83 yards, three catches for 68 yards and a touchdown uh, on four targets. Check out the article I have on footballoutsiders.com because it's got a cool video of that touchdown reception that really shows off Mostert has incredible speed. And as such, has very positive DYA Tartles as both a, a rusher and receiver so far this season, and even leads the 49ers backfield with five targets. I think he's pretty clearly entrenched as Tevin Coleman's replacement, which is going to give him a good amount of receiving value back behind Matt Breda as the more primary rusher. Meanwhile, I'm going to say you should ignore Jeff Wilson despite the 10 carries and two touchdowns on Sunday. That was mostly in garbage time. Only two of his 10 carries came when the game was within two scores. So Wilson is their third option, and he may have situational value, but it's probably going to just be in situations like that where the 49ers have a big lead. Debo Samuel, the rookie receiver, had an impressive day. Five catches, 87 yards, and a touchdown on seven targets. Dante Pettis is just clearly out of the mix. He was not targeted on the day, just has one target this season. He had 35 snaps in this game, which is a lot more than in week one, but still makes him a part-time player. You can drop him in, in pretty much any format. But Samuel, despite the good day, I'm not quite ready to start him um, for, for your fantasy squads, at least in your shallow leagues. A pretty good total of 24.4% of the team's wide receiver and tight end targets on the season, but he's played just 29 offensive snaps in week two. And in fact, no 49ers receiver played more than 51% of the team's offensive snaps. I think this is going to just be a frustrating kind of rotation for the time being. And while Samuel has the most potential long-term, you know, Jalen Hurd could be back in this mix in a week or two, and I think it's just going to get more complicated over the first half of the season. For the Bengals, Andy Dalton didn't have the great, great day he had in week one, but did have 311 yards and two touchdowns. Um, he's been pretty much neutral by the advanced stats, 7 DYAR, negative 10.4% DVOA on the season. But he has 93 pass attempts for the season, which is the second most in football. That's one behind Kyler Murray. And as mentioned, Murray had that overtime week one game. So Dalton is kind of pacing to be the most in the league. If that's going to be a feature of the Zach Taylor offense, then Dalton's going to have fantasy value. Is probably a solid QB too. You know, entering the season, the Seahawks and 49ers, who are Dalton's, uh, the teams he's played so far, neither one were big pass play boosters. The Seahawks increased pass plays by about 1.2%, but the 49ers decreased them by 2.6%. So I think this may be an offensive strategy thing, and I think Dalton may be worth your, your while in your deeper formats in two QB leagues. Meanwhile, John Ross, uh, another nice day, four catches, 112 yards and a touchdown. And the thing that you really want to see there, eight targets. He's up to 26% of the team's wide receiver and tight end target share, which is pretty close to number one receiver Tyler Boyd at 27.3%. No one else on the roster at 15%. Definitely feel free to pick him up and start him as a high-end flex until A.J. Green comes back. But I'll note that Green is out of his walking boots, so he may be back sooner than later. 
I think the fact that he didn't end up in the PUP list before the season suggests that the Bengals were optimistic he'd be back before week seven. So, you know, maybe like a week five or six return for, for Green. And at that point, Ross may not be as valuable in fantasy anymore. I think we'll just have to see. But getting a little bit more bullish on his potential future in fantasy. And then finally, I'll mention that Tyler Eifert, uh, just three catches, um, but a touchdown on five targets on Sunday. In week one, he and CJ Uzoma, also a tight end on the Bengals, each had five targets. Eifert had five this week, and Uzoma had zero. Eifert only played 19 offensive snaps, but I think it's going to get worked back a little bit more as part of this offense as he gets kind of his footing. You know, he's, he's had all these injuries he's dealt with in recent seasons, but I think he's trending upward and could end up being a solid tight end too for you later in the year. Moving on to uh, my favorite game of the day, the Chargers at Lions. There actually isn't a ton of fantasy takeaways. I think a lot of the guys on these teams, you either know whether you're starting them or not in fantasy. But I'll bring up Mike Williams, three catches for 83 yards on five targets. Very low percentage of, of their uh, the Chargers' workload for wide receivers and tight ends, just 16.3%, compared to an incredible 51% for Keenan Allen. I actually don't expect that to, to split to continue. I was looking at some of the catches Mike Williams has made this year. He's been incredibly impressive. You should definitely check out that FootballOutsiders.com article, um, either the Tipping Points article I did on Monday or the Pickups article I did today, to see that supercut. Williams just has all of the natural ability you'd ever want, and I think he's showing off the skill set you would want to see from a guy to get a lot more of his team's targets. And so I would say that he's probably going to end up in more like eight targets a game rather than the four he's shown so far this season once the Chargers get into more of a rhythm and get a bigger sample size for you. Okay, next up, Vikings at Packers. Marquez Valdez-Scantling, pretty quiet day, three catches for 19 yards on six targets. Geronimo Allison, who I said you could drop last week, actually had the touchdown on the day. But I still feel good about the advice that Valdez-Scantling is the number two option for the team. He played 65 offensive snaps versus 34 for Allison. So Valdez-Scantling, I think, is going to be your guy. And I think once the Packers' schedule gets a little bit better than facing the Bears and Vikings, two really tough opponents, he'll have some good value and he'll have a lot of weeks where he's a wide receiver too in fantasy. Next up, we have the Colts at Titans. Eric Ebron kind of did Eric Ebron things, catching a touchdown on four targets. But he's down to just 16.3% of his team's wide receiver and tight end targets, which is just 16th most among tight ends in football. Jack Doyle continues to play and continues to split time with Ebron, and so that's the difference between this year and last year. And I think that's going to prevent either of them from being a shadow league option for you at tight end. It was cool to see Paris Campbell score his first career touchdown, the, the rookie uh, high draft pick for the Colts. Um, but behind T.Y. Hilton, none of those secondary wide receivers saw the field for 50% of the team's offensive snaps. Campbell was just on the field for 18 of those snaps, about 25%. Same was true for Deion Kane, for Zach Pascal, and Chester Rogers, who were also in the mix. So behind Hilton, I'm not really sure there's going to be another pass-catching option for you to use in fantasy for the Colts, except maybe in very deep leagues. For the Titans, uh, Deion Lewis, another quiet week with just three carries and one target. Uh, Derrick Henry is really getting all the workload under their new offensive coordinator, and so I think Lewis is droppable. Meanwhile, Delaney Walker led the team in targets again this week. Four catches for 39 yards, not a big fantasy day, but at over 30% of his team's wide receiver and tight end targets for the season, he's the fourth highest rate of all tight ends in the league in that stat this season, and he's back and healthy, so I think he's back to being a top 10 tight end where he typically was in his prime years. Meanwhile, rookie a wide receiver for the Titans, A.J. Brown, Three catches for 25 yards, quiet day, but five targets. He's actually out-targeted Corey Davis, both for the game and for the season. Um, But don't be fooled, because Davis has been on the field for much more, 83% of his team's offensive snaps. 
Uh, actually, Brown was outsnapped by Adam Humphreys, who also may share some slot time with A.J. Brown. So I think that Brown's early season workload has been a bit of a mirage, kind of a small sample quirk. He's got a bright future like a lot of these rookie wide receivers, but I don't think he's going to have much fantasy value for you in the short term. With the Patriots and Dolphins game, <laughs> I faced the Dolphins. Uh, I mean, I faced the Patriots defense in a league, and let's just say that it didn't go well. So maybe starting defenses against the Dolphins is kind of the key for you in fantasy right now. But uh, uh, otherwise, I would say Preston Williams really impressed me again. Uh, four catches, 63 uh, yards on six targets. Is up over 20% of the Dolphins wide receiver and tight end target share. Now, I think there's probably a big reason for that is the fact that the Dolphins just don't have a ton of skill talent, and they're kind of a mess offensively and defensively. Uh, but it is second on the team behind Devontae Parker. He was at 42 offensive snaps, which is also second behind Parker. So Williams is already involved, and I, I do trust the talent. So despite his sort of later draft pedigree, I think Williams can be one of the more effective rookie wide receivers in fantasy this season. And so in your deeper formats, I think go ahead and use him. I think he could potentially be a wide receiver three or four for you in a lot of weeks and hopefully in the weeks where they're not facing a team like the Patriots and they'll have a little bit more opportunities and garbage time to, to get some extra fantasy points. In the Bills and Giants games, uh, Josh Allen, I wasn't super bullish on his, his chances against the Giants because the Giants prevent or they cut down on teams passing attempts just because they're not very good. Um, but Allen salvaged his day with a rushing touchdown and now has 10 rushing touchdowns and 13 career starts. His rushing totals are very good um, and very important for fantasy users. He's got 7.8 carries, 51 yards, and 0.77 rushing touchdowns per game in his starts in his career. So that's 6.5 fantasy points before he even throws a pass. And if you kind of want to play games with how these numbers work, it's kind of like he starts every game with 170 passing yards and just adds that to whatever passing yard total he has. And that's the reason that I think Allen can be a viable fantasy option for you, potentially even in shallow formats, where his rushing totals can really boost his fantasy production more than he succeeds as a real NFL quarterback. Meanwhile, Devin Singletary, uh, who I was just absolutely in love with after week one, unfortunately suffered a hamstring injury. Unclear whether he's going to miss any time or not, but I think that probably contributed to the reversal of the workload split where Frank Gore ended up being on the field for 45 offensive snaps versus just 25 for Singletary in week two. I'm still just in love with Singletary's talent. He's up to 59 rushing DYAR, which is third most of the position on the season, despite having barely played. Um, I think that by before the end of the season, he's going to be a, a very heavily used player. I think he's basically Nick Chubb, but for the 2019 season. And so it may be next week and it may be in five weeks, but eventually he's going to be a top 15 kind of running back option for you. So pick him up now if you still can. Meanwhile, at receiver, you have John Brown, another nice day, seven catches, 72 yards on eight targets. He's up at a very high number of 34% of the Bills wide receiver and tight end target share. That's top 15 among all wide receivers in football. I was worried about his fantasy potential because he tends to be a deep target. Um, and given that Josh Allen has some questionable accuracy on deeper passes and just in general, I thought that there could be some inconsistencies, but if Brown's going to be getting nine kind of nine targets a game or whatever it is, uh, those inconsistencies aren't going to really be a problem. And so far, Brown has been really efficient, 37.1% DVOA. So I think he's a pretty safe fantasy option for you, maybe as a back-end flex in shadow leagues or a very attractive option for you in deeper formats. With the, C the Seahawks and Steelers, uh, Rashad Penny had 10 carries and a rushing touchdown. Um, I think that's a little bit deceptive. Carson still had 15 carries in the game and continued to get most of the work as a receiver. Uh, Penny just has one target against 10 for Carson on the season. And even though that, um, even though Penny is up to like a half as many carries 
as Carson this season, which is better than he was at 33% or so last year with the split. I still think Penny is really just a handcuff. He's not really going to be an option for you in shallow formats, even on a team like the Seahawks that runs the ball as frequently as they do. DK Metcalf uh, continues to get a lot of work, seven targets in week two. That wasn't nearly as many as Tyler Lockett, but it was a lot more than the other receivers on the team who peaked out at three. And Metcalf is up to 32.5% of the team's wide receiver and tight end target share. Lockett's at 35%, no one else at 18%. So Metcalf is clearly the number two guy for the Seahawks. That may be a little bit less valuable on the Seahawks than it would be for, for most teams because they're passing, you know, at more like 50% of their plays rather than 60% like a lot of teams. But Metcalf looks really good, and I think he may have some fantasy value for you this season. And then Will Disley. Great to see him back and contributing after missing most of last season after the, the really strong start to the year. He had five catches for 50 yards and two touchdowns on five targets this week. Very efficient so far in limited opportunities this year, 89.8% DVOA. And I'll just point out that it's a small sample, but in five career healthy games, Disley has 13 catches, 213 yards, and four touchdowns on 20 targets. He may really be a fantasy option for you. That's kind of a tight end two kind of guy, even though they're they're mixing the ball up a little bit more there in Seattle than in a lot of places. Sadly for the Steelers, Ben Roethlisberger tours UCL and is going to miss the season getting Tommy John surgery. Pretty common issue for baseball pitchers, so hopefully he'll come back healthy like a lot of those guys do. But Mason Rudolph came in. Um, you know he was fine in his first uh, his first relief appearance. Zero point six percent more passes completed than expected by Next Gen Stats. But I'll point out that Football Outsiders has a, a quarterback prospect projection model called QBase, and it really liked Rudolph entering last season because of his 10.7 adjusted yards per attempt in college. So he's a guy that I think could be a sneaky ad for you. you know, there's a lot of skill talent even without Antonio Brown on the Steelers right now, so Rudolph might actually be a viable deeper league quarterback option for you, even though he doesn't have any experience so far in his career. Next up, we have the Cowboys at Redskins game. Another uh, unfortunate injury here. Michael Gallup, who was having another great day, six catches, 68 yards, and, and on eight targets, which led the team. He hurt his knee, and it doesn't look super serious, but he's going to miss two to four weeks with an arthroscopic knee procedure. And as such, I think Randall Cobb might actually become a viable fantasy option for you. Coming out of the slot, he's had a 19.6% target share for the wide receivers and tight ends for the, for the Cowboys so far this season. That puts him as the clear number three guy behind Amari Cooper and Gallup. And he's definitely not a skill replacement for Gallup. He's going to stick in the slot. But just given how well Dak Prescott's performed, he's had an unbelievable 82.3% completion rate so far this season, 13.2% higher than expected by next-gen stats. And he leads the position with 395 DYAR and 83% DVOA. It just seems like Kellen Moore's new offensive system is really fitting Prescott and really kind of unleashing the passing attack for the Cowboys. And I feel like they're going to definitely support at least two receivers in fantasy. And Cobb seems like he's going to be the guy. I mean, it's going to be a little bit of a change in strategy to hit the slot that often, but Cobb can maybe be a PPR guy for you in shallow formats. For the Redskins, Case Keenum is still performing well. 221 passing yards, not too much, but two touchdowns again is up to five for the season. He's also at 35.2% DVOA, which is sixth best for the season among quarterbacks. So he's doing fine. Um, has some, some tricky schedule, I would say, uh, for, for a lot of the season, but is maybe a guy you can rely on in deeper formats. Uh, and then Adrian Peterson, uh, he kind of slotted back in and did what he did last year. 10 carries, 25 yards, not super efficient, but got the rushing touchdown. Only five other running back carries were, were handed out for, for the Redskins. So Peterson is probably going to be a safe flex kind of option for you, in particular in standard formats for the, for the next, say, four to six weeks. 
I'll be interested to see whether Bryce Love comes back and plays this season. He's on the PUP list rather than than on injured reserve, so he is eligible to return in Week 7 if they think he's healthy. But I think before the season, Jay Gruden indicated that he might just miss the entire season. Unclear there. Um, unclear how much longer Darius Geis is going to miss, but probably a month or two. So at least for the time being, Peterson is going to be startable for you in fantasy. At receiver, Terry McLaurin, five catches, 62 yards, a touchdown on nine targets, which led the team. He's up at 29.1% of the team's wide receiver and tight end target share, which leads the team and is a good 11% higher than Paul Richardson. McLaurin looks to me like a clear number one receiver for this team. And whereas guys like Trey Quinn could see their workload dip if Jordan Reed can get back healthy on the field and take some of those middle field targets away, McLaurin, I think, is going to continue to get this kind of workload and is going to be usable for you in shallow formats, even as a rookie. And then one more guy I'll mention here, Chris Thompson. If you remember back in 2016, he was actually a very effective fantasy option. He had 62 targets that year, and he had he was the number 30 PPR um, back for the full season. Already has 18 targets so far in two, um, two weeks so far this season. So he's kind of rebounded a little bit to his prime days and maybe an option for you in deeper PPR formats. Moving on to the Jaguars and Texans, Gardner Minshew, kind of a modest passing day, 23 of 33. It was okay efficiency, but just 23, uh, 213 yards, so not getting a ton of yards per pass there, um, but did get a touchdown and avoided an interception. And most importantly for his fantasy value, six carries for 56 yards on the ground. And it just kind of reminded me, and I know Jaguars fans probably don't want to hear this, but it reminded me of Blake Bortles, who when he had his fantasy success, it tended to be because he could scramble for a lot of extra yards which are worth much more in fantasy than passing yards are. So we'll have to see whether Minshew can continue to do okay as a passer. He's been pretty neutral by advanced stats with 4 DYAR and negative 10.2% DVOA, but I think a little bit promising. And it seems like he's good enough to buoy some of the receivers that they have on this team. But man, am I ever confused about how the Jaguars are splitting up their workload between Chris Conley, DJ Chark, and D.D. Westbrook. So on <laughs> On Sunday, all three of those guys played between 55 and 58 snaps, so there's no clarity there. And for the season, they're all three between 20 and 25% of the team's wide receiver and tight end targets, so no clarity uh, clarity there either. Entering the year, I think me and and most people assumed Westbrook was going to be the primary guy. He's definitely been the worst so far, negative 33 DYAR, negative uh, 51.2% DVOA, whereas Conley and Chark have both been exceptional with their efficiencies. Conley at 73.6% DVOA, Chark at 66.1%. I guess at this point I'm leaning Chark, but I think it's just kind of so evenly split that it may not be very valuable to have any of these guys in fantasy. But in your your deeper formats, you can pick up Chark and pick up Conley and just kind of stash them and see. Maybe don't start them this week, especially because they're playing Thursday, and both of those guys are listed as questionable right now, um, sitting out on Monday um, after the, the short week there. For the Texans, we have Carlos Hyde. Jumped up to 20 carries for 90 yards in week two. Duke Johnson had just six. I thought that that was going to be a little bit more evenly split of a workload, but, you know, Hyde was new to the team in week one, just just there for maybe one week leading into the season. So it's possible, too, that this is the new normal, and Hyde may out-carry Duke Johnson two to one, which is his current carry advantage for the season. But keep in mind that Hyde just has one target on the season, probably isn't going to be very involved in the passing game. That'll limit Hyde's ceiling, but, you know, could Hyde be Derrick Henry from last year? I mean, maybe. So I think he's definitely going to be worth your time, in particular in standard formats. And I'm surprised to note that he has 49 rushing DYAR, which is fifth most at the position, 28.8% rushing DVOA. 
I kind of left him for dead. It had been a few years since he'd been a good performer, but so far so good on the Texans. So go ahead and grab him even in shallow formats. Chiefs at Raiders. This was a crazy game again. It's just kind of what Patrick Mahomes does. I'll start with the running backs though. LaShawn McCoy, 11 carries for 23 yards. Damian Williams actually left this game hurt. LaShawn McCoy actually got hurt as well. And it's unclear right now whether either player is going to miss a lot of time. The news I've seen so far is that Williams suffered a knee contusion, which is just a bad bruise. So I think that he's probably more likely to be back next week. If both of them did miss time, I would love Darwin Thompson, who I think is the most talented player in their backfield. But for the time being, I think you can still treat McCoy like a handcuff. Uh, Only nine of his 22 carries so far this season have come with the game within two scores. So he's kind of a garbage time option. And he has just four targets compared to 11 for Williams on the season. So I just don't really see McCoy being a fantasy option for you in typical weeks. With the receivers, though, obviously Tyreek Hill is still out. And that led to huge days for both Demarcus Robinson and McCall Hardman. The former had six catches for 172 yards and two touchdowns. The latter, four catches for 61 and one. I know you're going to be tempted to go and grab these guys in your shallow formats and just kind of unload all your fab budget on them. And I get the temptation because Patrick Mahomes is that good. But I will just point out that last year, apart from Tariq Hill and apart from Travis Kelsey, there were only 10 other receiver games for the Chiefs where a receiver had um, more than five targets. There were five of those games for Sammy Watkins, three for Chris Conley, one for Demarcus Robinson, and one for Demetrius Harris. And to me, that means that while Sammy Watkins is effectively playing that role of a Tyreek Hill, guys like Robinson and Hardman, they're going to have the occasional big games, but most of their games are going to be in like the two to four target range where it's going to be unlikely that they make much of a fantasy impact. So just be careful before you use all of your fab budget or blow a number one waiver priority on those guys. For the Raiders, uh, Darren Waller and Tyrell Williams still very heavily involved. Um, Waller is at 26.3% of his team's wide receiver and tight end targets, which is the eighth most among tight ends um, for the season. And I think he's clearly a top eight tight end for the season, rest of the year in fantasy. Williams has seen that number drop a little bit to 26.4%, in particular because rookie slot receiver Hunter Renfro got more usage in this game with uh, eight targets. But I still think Williams is the clear number one guy here. He's been very efficient at 45.5% DVOA. Maybe more like a wide receiver two flex range kind of guy, but I think is entrenched and is very safe in that role. And then with with Hunter Renfro, you know, I'm reluctant to compare him to Cooper Cup because Cup has just ended up being such a great player. And I think that's just a high bar to set for any rookie and any rookie slot receiver. But Renfro is in that kind of situation like Cup was for the Rams a couple of years ago in his rookie season, where Renfro was going to have the opportunity to be immediately productive, in particular in PPR leagues and fantasy. So he may be a sneaky value for you guys in your deeper formats there. Next up, we have the Bears at Broncos. Uh, David Montgomery had 18 carries, just seven combined for the other Bears running backs. So he's asserting himself there as the clear choice um, at the position. He's already owned pretty much everywhere. In fact, he was like a fourth or fifth round pick in a lot of leagues, which may have been a little bit optimistic. But regardless, he's the guy there. And the other backs, I mean, Cohen maybe has some PPR value, but but Davis, you can probably go ahead and drop in, in all formats. Then for the Broncos, Royce Freeman really surprised me. The, the 11 carries and 54 yards, pretty similar to Lindsey at 13 and 36, not surprising, but Freeman had five catches, 48 yards receiving, and won seven targets as a receiver. Now, there were just a lot of running back targets to go around because Lindsey got seven as well. But if Freeman is going to be involved in the passing game like this, then that's going to really improve his fantasy stock because he's already about 50 pounds heavier than Lindsey, 
which I think means he's going to get most of the goal line looks for the team. He may actually be more valuable than Lindsay at this point in fantasy, which is kind of crazy to believe after the rookie season Lindsay had. But yeah, maybe even flex value in shallow formats, although I'd probably want to use him more if I was in a bit of a deeper league. At receiver, it, the, the Broncos are still going with a really tight rotation, and I think that's going to boost the fantasy value for both Emmanuel Sanders and Cortland Sutton. They had 13 and 7 respective targets on Sunday, which is you know, pretty productive for, for considering they were facing off against the Bears' defense. For the season, Emmanuel Sanders, 33.3% of the team's wide receiver and tight end target share, has three in-zone targets, um, all three for the team at the positions. So he's a clear number one guy there, I think can be very effective for you in fantasy. And Sutton may be more of a deeper league guy at 25% of the team's wide receiver and tight end looks, but efficient at 32.3% DVOA. Looks like a, a blossoming second-year player. Okay, Saints Saints and Rams, obviously the big takeaway of this game is that Drew Brees is going to miss six weeks with this, his thumb injury. And Teddy Bridgewater will probably do better than 17 for 30 for 165 in future weeks. You know, it's really, it's really hard to come in when you haven't practiced and just relieve a guy like that in a game against a team like the Rams wasn't very efficient in negative 27.4% DVOA, but understandably so. Traditionally, Bridgewater's been a very conservative passer, taking some of the shorter pass attempts, and that'll probably work pretty well with the Saints' skill talent, in particular with Kamara. And so he can be fine for you in deeper formats, but if you have a very deep league and have some bench spots to play with, you know, not the worst idea in the world to take a gamble on Taysom Hill. Hill has just seven NFL pass attempts in his career, so he's a pretty long shot to be a starter. But if he does come in, he's averaged 5.2 yards per carry over 39 career carries and would probably be a very effective fantasy player in a non-traditional offense, maybe kind of like what Lamar Jackson has going on up for the Ravens, although I would say clearly not going to be that effective. Okay, and then moving on to the Sunday night game, Eagles at Falcons. A lot of injuries to deal with here. We had Deshaun Jackson, Alshon Jeffrey, and Dallas Goddard all leaving the Sunday night game with injuries unclear right now which of those guys are going to miss time, if any, and for how long. And so if they're going to be gone, I think Nelson Aguilar clearly steps up as the number one wide receiver option for Carson Wentz. Eight catches for 107 and a touchdown on 11 targets on Sunday night. And then also if if multiple of those guys end up missing time, you could also look at Mac Hollins. Eight targets were twice as many as rookie J.C. Garcia-Whiteside in that game. So Hollins could be your secondary option there. For the Falcons, Ido Smith didn't get a ton of work this game, just four carries for 32 yards and two receptions for 13 yards on three targets. But I like what I'm seeing out of him. Whereas with Devontae Freeman, I haven't really been as, as, as bullish on this so far. He's got negative 44 DYAR, which is the worst of the position on the season, negative 65.9% DVOA. Obviously, he's had really tough matchups there with the, with the Vikings and Eagles, but Freeman also has about a thousand career touches in the regular season, so he's pretty old for a 27-year-old, and I'm worried that he's not the same player that he was three or four years ago. Edo Smith is going to potentially have flex value for this team. I think it's going to end up having quite a few targets down the line, even if Freeman does okay. Then Calvin Ridley obviously had the big day, eight catches for 105 and, and one, but he's owned in most formats too. Grab him in the handful of leagues that he's not already in, but you probably missed that chance in the offseason. And then finally, let's close this out with the Browns at the Jets for Monday night. Uh, running back for the Browns, Dernis Johnson, had three carries for eight yards and then kind of a surprising three catches or 42 yards on four targets. I think that happened just because Dontrell Hilliard missed the, the game with a concussion. So I, I don't think his 62 target advantage over Hilliard is going to continue for the rest of the season. So don't you don't need to grab him even in your deeper formats. For the Jets, I think I would grab Jamison Crowder still after a four catch for 40-yard performance on six targets. 
He's up at 46.9% of the Jets' wide receiver and tight end targets for the season, which is the third most of any wide receiver for the season. Just get a load of this top 12. You start with Michael Thomas, Keenan Allen, then you hit Crowder. Then it goes Allen Robinson, DeAndre Hopkins, Sammy Watkins, Odell Beckham, Adam Thielen, DJ Moore, Tyler Lockett, T.Y. Hilton, and Devontae Adams. So that is some extremely great company there that Jamison Crowder is in in terms of target share. And, you know, obviously the Jets aren't in a great situation now with potentially Luke Falk starting, but Crowder is a guy that's going to get a lot of shallow targets that are going to be easier for a quarterback to bail out to. I think you have to, to treat Crowder like a fantasy asset, especially in your PPR formats, despite the other struggles the Jets are, are suffering here on offense. And then finally, I'll close this up with Demarius Thomas. Uh, he kind of got a reprieve after the, the Patriots traded him to the Jets. The Jets really hungry for some, some good wide receivers. But unfortunately, he re-injured the hamstring that he injured in the preseason and so could miss some more time. I don't think he's worth picking up right now for you in your fantasy formats. Okay, that went a little long, but thanks for sticking with me. Um, thanks so much for listening to the Football Outsiders Fantasy Podcast this week. I'll be back in two days to discuss the start and sit options for you for, for the weekend. But thanks so much for listening, and please subscribe already if you haven't. This uh, Football Outsiders Fantasy Podcast is now available on both iTunes and Google Podcasts, so you can grab it. Um, on your phones, you can subscribe and you can rate and review, and please do. Thanks so much, and talk to you in a couple days. Mm-hmm.